and welcome to Post-Credit Conversations, a movie podcast that believes that a film is only as good as the discussion it inspires. My name is Kale Prindle. And I am Slade Lane. How you doing there, Slade? Uh, well, we tried to act a little brave and we got up a little earlier than we usually do, so that considered, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Right. I'm Got a my coffee. So I, I enjoy this. It, it's better than beer or cocktail. Uh, it's it's a different morning drink. <laughs> different drink for the morning, I should say. True enough. So. Yeah. Um, it, it's 7 a.m. on a weekend, and uh, I'm normally not awake. Or if I am, I'm lounging in bed. But to talk about movies, I got myself up. And, and here we are. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, because I'm a little foggy brain, we're just going to keep going and get into it without too much banter. Slade, what have you been watching lately? Oh, boy. Um, this is actually what I'm most excited about. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll start with what I've watched most recently. Uh, I watched The Old Guard yesterday, Netflix. Oh, film how was that? that? Came out with... Charlie's Theron. You know, it's it's pretty fun. I I enjoyed it. I just rated it this morning. I, you, you know, it, it's a good it's a good little action movie. Uh, it would be a very fun series, I think. Charlie's Theron is of course pretty awesome because she's done a few of these before. Yeah, she typically um, is pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the rest of the cast is <clears throat> pretty fun. There's there's little plot hole thingies that don't make too much sense but it sets itself up for a sequel uh has a kind of interesting premise um yeah it was good and i watched the movie we're gonna talk about in more depth well i hope but so the other things <laughs> yes <laughs> yes i did uh and and then uh actually this week uh me and my girlfriend we went through and we watched the original not original the prequel the original prequel the original star prequel. wars trilo- trilogy so yeah i've been um, watching your and letterbox that was quite it was quite an experience yes <laughs> um i this is very weird uh maybe i'm just fighting back against people for the fun of it which if if that's all i'm doing that's fine um because those people need to be fought back against but uh i i walked away liking the prequel trilogy a lot more than i have previously um i'll I'll start backwards i'll start with episode three uh this is a movie i haven't watched in 15 years right um since it came out because i would i thought it was so horrible (laughs) upon leaving the theater you know when i was 14 uh but i've heard a lot of people like it's the best of the the prequels and after watching it i i kind of agree (laughs) Yeah, I don't it's, think there's too much it, contention on that. I think almost everybody says episode three is the best of the prequels. Where it gets dicey is when no. people try to argue between one and two. Um, but that yeah. is dicey. But but I'm going to do it. Uh, not that they're better than the third <laughs> one. But but number three is really actually good. <laughs> um, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, now, 
two and one. Here's the thing. I, I like episode one better than two. Um, of course, it came out for me in in my youth when I was like eight years old. So I had grown up watching the original trilogy, but not for that long. And so it was just like, whoa, new Star Wars for me, for me. Uh, and so I, I really gravitated towards Phantom Menace when it first came out. And, and through kind of haters uh, growing up, I, I kind of started to dismiss it. And upon, I've only viewed it once or twice, maybe in the last 15 years, I always look at it, I'm like, huh, can't believe I like this. But upon this watch, I'm like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna open my heart to this movie and see, see if it's any good at all. And you know what? I, I came away with it is. I, I, I like episode one. I think it's a great adventure movie. I think it's a solid story. Uh, the pod race scenes in particular, I think, are some of the most notable in all the Star Wars. It's all, all 11, 10 of them or whatever. I think the pod race scene is so well done. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that yeah. um, <laughs> it is, it is really good. So I, <laughs> like, I rewatched all of these last summer. Um, my kids were clamoring last summer like we want to see a pg-13 movie and they weren't you know and at that time they were nine and and seven and they hadn't watched much of anything like that so we went through um all the star wars movies and so it was really fun and yeah i feel the same way on phantom menace and 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 the same way and it's not like we're gonna have a new take on star wars uh, no, like we're not. <laughs> but I felt the same way with Phantom Menace to an extent. Like when it first came out, I was sixteen, and um, and I was so excited that there was a new Star Wars. I just loved it, and I remember even thinking, you know, that Jar Jar Binks character, he's pretty funny. I like him. Um, and then I was shamed. To not like him soon after, which sounds like yes. it's similar. Now, when I rewatched them a year ago, I did not come out thinking Jar Jar was funny because what I see in that movie now is that George Lucas um, has a hard time like having a cohesive vision. I think Lucas is brilliant, oh. but I think oh. that his um, his ability to make everything work the way he has it envisioned is not always there. Um, and in Phantom Menace, it, it is a shame because there's some parts of Phantom Menace that are very cool. And then there's other parts that are very not cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's you, a weird one for sure. You know, I, I, I can appreciate that take and I have for a long time, but, but I don't think it's true anymore. I, I, and that's fine. I actually, th- <laughs> it is. I I know. I I'm not defending myself against you, obviously. But like, the thing is, in watching it, and and this is where episode two comes in it to it because I I mean my mind was not changed. It is the worst of the prequels, right? Um, but but for different reasons, I think, or maybe the same reasons. I I'm just more forgiving this time around because I think you need episode two, like. Like, as me and my girlfriend were discussing the movies, because, like, after everyone I would just turn to, I'm like, okay, the only thing I want you to answer is, is this watchable? 
Because I think that has been my question for so many years about the prequels is like I've been in a space of they're unwatchable. And and so I just wanted to watch them and be like, are they watchable? Are they in any ways enjoyable? And I came out this last week saying not only are they watchable, they're enjoyable. And and I put episode two in that category. Now, because upon my thorough research this week, because I did watch episode one and two twice wow. <laughs> this last week. Well, I I I would start them and then I'd be like, my girlfriend would be like, I want to watch them. I'm like, okay, let's watch them. Um, and so I'd restart. But, and the thing I found is, as much hate as Hayden Christensen gets um, for his portrayal of Anakin, upon watching it again, I can get over his portrayal of Anakin. In fact, I think it's 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 not perfect, but it's it's good. It's good enough. Um, you know, <laughs> it's good enough. It's yeah. good enough. And, and I would, and I would, here's the thing, because episode two, I, I mean, episode three has its couple moments, but it's more, much more clear in episode three right. that the actual problem throughout the entire prequels, and this, this hurts my heart. This is your hot I take. I saw this earlier. I'm ready for this. this. Go. This is hard to say because you know I'm a fan. You are. But it's Natalie Portman. It's Natalie Portman. Because Anakin delivers some questionable lines. He does. And he says them with real rapey vibes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he does. But everything Natalie Portman says, not, not, not just to Anakin, but anyone in the movie, but especially Anakin are just so horribly delivered mm-hmm. that it is cringeworthy. And this is especially true in episode three because, like, even Hayden Christensen, like, has ascended to the next level of his Jedi training, which is acting in number three, and it's just like, <laughs> whoa, you, you're kind of decent. Like, this is some shattered glass Hayden Christensen coming through. And, you know, she is not up to her V for Vendettas, her Black Swans. She's not there yet. Because, like, she will say something, and Hayden's like, I guess I'll keep acting this time. <laughs> and she's oh, like, wow. but I won't. <laughs> but I won't. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing my where the heart is <laughs> shtick here. Because I, I don't want to go too ranty, but I'm going to. I mean, because, you, like, you're already there. Just keep going. <laughs> I'm there because I have so many opinions on the prequel trilogy because I feel I've been fooled into hating them for so long. And now I'm like, I'm ready to watch them. Episode two and all. Like, they, if these were if these were a Disney Plus series of films, if we chopped up the prequel movies into 30-minute chunks, everyone today would love them. I guarantee it. Now, that is because, possible because I think one of the big problems with the prequel trilogies um, is the choppiness of them. I, I know I put in one yeah. of my reviews. I, I, it might be for episode two, but I'm not sure. Um, many of the scenes in all three of those movies last literally a minute or less. Like, they chop and jump so much. And, and it makes it for a hard movie to watch because you're always... Uh, 
Uh, it's like, oh, we're back with the Jedi Council. Okay, they said three whole things, and now we're leaving the Jedi Council. And now we're back over here with this guy, and then he said four things, and we're jumping back to the Jedi Council. Like, it's yeah. very, very choppy. Now, if you took that and you put it into those 30-minute chunks for a series, it might work. Oh, man. It might work. Oh, man. It would... 100% would work, is what I'm going to tell you. Um, <laughs> no, but, and, and that problem really is episode two's problem, because again, I think Phantom Menace, you know, I just for me personally, I think it's the best movie of the three, though I, if anyone wants to say no, it's three, I'll, I'll say it is, just to please you, uh, but Phantom Menace holds the place in my heart, because I think it's such a good paced movie like it's so old style lucas feeling okay um which you i don't think you get in the other two you do and you don't as far as visuals and and story goes though it does and then but episode two is really that choppy bit but like i watched it maybe in three chunks throughout the day and it kept my interest in every chunk i did but Hmm. it was I really think it was because I chunked it, you know, um, because it is so almost episodic throughout. But again, you need episode two for the whole overarching story. And this is why I think we all need to stop hating on George Lucas, because I think I said this last summer when I watched the original trilogy is George Lucas understands a, a certain type of filmmaking and storytelling that is not available in mainstream Hollywood, which is like this callback to old mythic style storytelling. Like he really is the filmmaker and there's very few since him that do this, which is they call upon old mythic tropes throughout their filmmaking because like the whole original trilogy, I mean famed story of him having Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces opened while he was writing it, and that is still present in the prequel trilogy. Like, there's Oedipal complexes going on, and I think when you follow the whole story throughout the prequel trilogy, it's actually just really good. I mean, the callbacks he does to things in the previous films in the prequel trilogy are really good, and they're not done terribly you know like they aren't obvious nods all the time which i think you get so much of in mainstream big blockbuster filmmaking like if you're gonna call on another film in a marvel movie like that's all that happens but he packs each one very full of things i mean the whole idea of the galactic empire crumbling to corruption and the Sith and everything and the political aspects of those movies is really brilliantly handled, um, which makes it much more complex, but somehow he creates a very satisfying lightsaber fueled adventure in each one for a younger audience, <laughs> which I, I just appreciate. And last note. So, cause I want to hear what you've been watching. Cause you've watched a lot more than me. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what his, I've watched and my internet's not working. So I'll see if I can bring oh it man. back up. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Oh, I, I, I know which you. one you want to talk about. I know. Okay. never mind. I just remembered. <laughs> and, and, and so my last note ish 
is a George Lucas wonderful filmmaker and to take another prequel uh, uh, or another trilogy not only that direct all three himself and there is a visible growth in each one in certain areas which i think culminates in revenge of the sith to do that and also revolutionize filmmaking again from a special effects standpoint because like especially phantom Menace, you can tell it's just like oh Law CGI, like that was one of the last movies filmed on 35 millimeter because of how much CGI he used, you know, and you everything we watch now, I think we have that trilogy to thank for. And last note, Jar Jar Binks, I I get it, but here's my hot take. Here's my hot take is he was just that generations, my generations growing up. He was our C-3PO. That's it. I, I think I will older let that generations... Stand. <laughs> I will new, let it newer, stand. <laughs> newer generations maybe don't get, but like C-3PO is a bumbling idiot, only there kind of for comic relief. I mean, he had a bit bigger function in the original trilogy I get, but honestly, that's all it was. Same with Jar Jar. There are scenes in Phantom Menace where I chuckle still. I don't think he ruins it. I think we have amnesia for how often he is in the Phantom Menace and how much ruining he actually does, which I think is only a slight little, which is forgivable. Yeah, I think and that I, I do think that the Jar Jar hate is overblown. When I watched it again, I hmm, there are things that are annoying, and I think it's so tricky. Star Wars. Here's the thing about Star Wars that's so frustrating is. It is absolutely the single most toxic fan base that has ever been created (laughs) is because of that franchise. And it's because people loved the original so much. And as you were talking, there's something that occurred to me uh, when you said like, you know, and Lucas directed all three of them. And I think that's I mean, I think that's the problem. But I think the real problem is that it's the only thing he had directed since like the original Star Wars. That's the weird thing about Lucas is he doesn't sit in the director's chair very often. Like if you look at the number of films he's actually directed, it's only like what six, seven films max, um, starting in like <laughs> the seventies. That's, that's a generous number. Yeah, yeah, it's not even that, right? He's got like his student film for THX. He's got American Graffiti, and then Star, Star Wars. Wars, and then there's <laughs> nothing. For more than 20 years. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this now, and it's, it's kind of fascinating. Like, Lucas is, in, in, from my perspective, he's strangely finicky. He has a, he's, he's very big on his own ideas. He's very big on, his, on this idea of mythic storytelling. And I think you're right. He is about the only filmmaker I can think of who can successfully take that mythic, epic storytelling um, approach and still make it work at all because most people aren't even going to try. Um, yeah, you know it's like when Peter Jackson did the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, it worked, but you know he's following someone else's source material. Like he's not just making it up well, and making the connections. Um, well, yeah, he is, and he famously changed things, right? You know, to make it digestible, right? You know. And um, so, so I think Lucas. I don't is, think Lucas does. No, he does not. <laughs> but I wonder. <laughs> now I'm wondering about an alternate universe where Lucas, um, after he 
does Star Wars, and what if he takes a different approach? Like he hops in on producer to help out with the Indiana Jones movies. He produces, um, was it Dark Crystal? He was producing on and Willow. Like he did a lot of fantasy stuff in the in the eighties, but he again he's not directing those. He's just producing and and he's very interested in that type of fantasy storytelling. But I wonder, it's like, how much did he lose out on because he was not. I don't know if it's not willing or not able to to keep directing. He hops in to direct his prequels, and then he's done. So he's only got like five movies total, I think. It's it's very strange. It's very weird. You know, it is. And Lucas, I mean, just from doing more reading than I usually do, was on him. And he's fascinating just because of the reasons why he didn't pursue doing a, a sequel trilogy or a prequel trilogy right away. I mean, from what I pinpointed, actually had mostly to do with his divorce <laughs> in the 80s and <laughs> going bankrupt. Uh, not bankrupt. I don't think he did literally, but came pretty close. Right. And then, you know, and, and his role, it's so weird because we really measure him up to, like, you're the guy who made Star Wars and kind of made Indiana Jones and we have only a lot of audiences only given him those merits, and then you think about everything we have because of George Lucas right. or a company he made, Pixar. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, Industrial Light and Magic. I mean, he has absolutely in, changed. Which handles filmmaking every for sure. special effects in every major movie ever is Industrial Light Magic. It's just the techniques he pioneered in those movies stand way beyond even the story he's telling. But, but even then, you know, and I think this is why the sequel trilogy is so controversial and, and I'm ready to kind of rewatch it and finally watch the third one doesn't hold up is because from star Wars, you know, he still oversaw the whole expanded universe of Star Wars, and mm-hmm. it really was. Here you go, fans. Here you go. You're gonna you're gonna write everything else that has to do with this thing I created, and I have in my head. Like I have the whole thing in my head, but I'm giving you license now to go create whatever. It, and those stories became quote canon and all that, and you get into the giant fan controversies of what's canon and whatnot. But it's just like, and you want to hate on the man. It's just like, he gave it to you. He gave it to you. But anyway. Yeah, it's true. Oh, man. There's so much to say about <laughs> but Lucas. of that. <laughs> but we're already 20 minutes in. And we... <laughs> I, I was worried, but I'm like, I don't care. I watched some of these twice this week. I'm I'm going to talk some Lucas. No, it, it's... Gil, what have you been oh, watching? Man. Well, I know. What, I think... What else can we talk about for 20 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, I'm pretty sure the main one you want to talk about is a is a movie that stars Joaquin Phoenix. Am I right? That one, for sure. For is there sure. another one that you had on your mind? I honestly don't it's remember. It's not big. It, it, it's fine. But no, yes, what are you no, thinking I, of? I, I want to talk, talk about what you want to talk about. What are you thinking about? Well, well, Joker's maybe the... Actually, there's a couple. Um... <laughs> Let's let's start Joker. Let's okay. start Joker. Here's my take on Joker. 
here's my main problem. You're too generous. No, here's my main problem with Joker. Joker has an identity issue. That's its main issue. It it, it doesn't... It's trying to be too many things at once. That's its biggest flaw. And because it's trying to be too many things at once, the thing that it has going for it that might be really good is destroyed or at least severely marred by trying to also be a Joker origin story. Joker... um, does not work as an origin story for a mastermind criminal that is going to be Batman's nemesis. It does not work in that aspect because the character of Joker is so large in our cultural um, identity and in, in our consciousness. Like we have so many Jokers out there. All of them are loud, but they're also strangely charismatic. Like even even Heath Ledger is strangely charismatic, um, but they're also usually brilliant. And when you get to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, he's not brilliant at all. Um, yeah. And so like there's this idea that this is the guy who will become Batman's nemesis does not work. It, it, the character is too big in our heads. For Joaquin Phoenix to fit into that mold is, and that's the yes. biggest problem because it, it's like, well, it's Joker though. So they've got this whole thing about the Wayne family, which, whatever, you know. So on that level, it completely fails. So if I'm watching it as a Joker origin story, I absolutely see why people are like, this is not good because it doesn't work in that sense at all. Yeah. Now, what did. So I tried to look for other stuff, like, why do people love this? It's a very uncomfortable movie, and it's primarily uncomfortable because you have a man who, uh, more than in any other Joker story, is very specifically labeled with, you have a mental illness, and you know you have a mental illness, and we're watching the world around you harass you, belittle you, mock you, Um, do terrible things to you. And it is basically because the way you function in society is not up to their standards and it's all traceable back to your mental illness. So that's why I think it's very, that, that was the hardest part for me to watch was just like this guy who is awkward, who's trying, but to see people take advantage of him, like this is really gross watching this man be taken advantage of. So I did not like that, but as it got closer and closer to the end, and after uh, Joker starts, you know, killing more people, what became clear to me is is something that doesn't quite work, again, because it's trying to do a Joker origin story, but is at least a little bit, a little bit more interesting, which is to dramatize the effects of what really happens when we continue to neglect and punch down at people who are legitimately hurting and have legitimate needs and, and, and needs and they need the help. And we see that throughout that, you know, someone takes advantage of him. The guy, his coworker just gives him a gun after he's been beat up and then he shoots these dudes. And then he hears that other people are like, yeah, those guys probably had it coming, those jerks. And, and in a, a moment where the economy of the city is dying, everything is bad. Everything's terrible. That, what they call these Wall Street guys getting murdered for being douchebags. Everyone's like, yeah, they probably had it coming. And so you see a a character who's been crapped on his whole life feel like, oh, so did I just become like kind of a Robin Hood 
type figure, and, and that's where he feels his validation. There's something kind of interesting in that, but I again, it doesn't quite work out because it is also trying to get this guy to Joker status. So at the end of the movie, when he's murdered someone on television and he's got massive crowds outside that are cheering for him because he started this weird clown movement, that didn't quite fit. So... I'm I'm still honestly very conflicted on it. I, I I watched it whatever night and I I didn't write a review till at least 24 hours later I think because I was like I don't know. I see that there might be something interesting there. But because yeah. it's all jumbled up in the Batman mythos in our minds and in its own movie, it ends up shooting itself in the foot like really bad. I think this is a much more interesting movie if you don't have anything connected to Batman. That if you just had a tragic story of a man who is trying to make life work, can't make life work, gets a little bit of encouragement when he does something that is horrifically violent and realizes, oh, is this a good thing? And then continues in that direction. I think that that has more of uh, an interesting message behind it about like how we can militarize and... and, and um, radicalize people um yeah but because of all the joker stuff it ultimately doesn't work real well yeah well yeah i would agree with that um because i am i'm skeptical when people number one like a movie a ton and tell me it's so good you need to watch it um and and joker i i i think the character of the joker especially in the last 20 years has gone way too much love um, from, <laughs> well, from everyone. Well, no, it's, no. It's be, the fault because, of Mark Hamill and, you know, because the animated well, is great, I, but then I, Heath I would, Ledger's is really fun. That's the thing about him. He, well, <laughs> and see, and that's the problem I have with it, saying he's fun. Because um, uh, Heath Ledger's is good. It, Nay, nay, great. I, I think. I think. Yes. When Heath Ledger came out as the Joker, it was a Joker that no one was looking for, yeah, nor wanted, and that's why it worked so well. Because not only did it come out when you don't want it, it came out and it's just like, oh, holy shit, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. This dude nailed it. But then, of course, you get into the kind of <laughs> problem of anyone playing the Joker, which is. If you go too much into what the Joker actually is and represents, uh, it might make you kill yourself. But yes, <laughs> and, yes, and the problem I definitely see with the latest iteration of this Joker is just that it's it's ignoring all that history mm-hmm. and saying like, hey, let's let's literally create like you said a character who, hey, instead of just being psychotic. Uh, Let's let's try and let's try to literally humanize. explain why he is the way he is. And exactly, that's, and that's and, a problem. And, no, I agree and that with doesn't you. work. It yeah. doesn't work for the Joker because that's he's he's a representative figure, and it, yeah, it doesn't work. And, and the work that this movie does, I think, is just so. You know, I I always have this discussion with friends who are like, with certain things, like, I don't think this movie should exist or things. And I I always try and be very pro-freedom of speech. I'm like, anything can exist. (laughs) 
within the law and and Joker has a right to exist and be written but but I will say some of the things in Joker are are very dangerous and it clouds itself I agree <laughs> in the filmmaking filmmaking process by trying to explain his origins especially with well he has a mental illness and then make him a hero right. through through it and you know again everything you just said is is spot on and the only other thing to really add um a is Todd Phillips the director who has only done comedies <laughs> before and and by the way only done comedies for adults and comedies that suck like I'm sorry if Todd Phillips ever listens to this I want you to know you're a piece of shit um you're a terrible filmmaker I, I watched the first 20 minutes of The Hangover a few months ago. It's terrible. It's terrible filmmaking. You 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 are the f- five-year-old who thinks he's 13 and laughs at penis jokes. Like, that's what you are. You're terrible. And, and the filmmaking of The Joker is why I rated it so low. It, not only because it's so unoriginal and Todd Phillips has no point of view in any of his movies... It's the he is the Michael Bay. He's a new Michael Bay. Uh, like when you look at Michael Bay's filmmakings, he he overemphasizes everything in his shots. Like, oh, this is really important. I'm gonna pan up. This is what Todd Phillips does in The Joker. Everything is just so slowed down and like this means something, but it doesn't. <laughs> like it's it's the biggest. Film jerk off. <laughs> I, I'm getting really down on Todd Phillips and the Joker. Are you? But I hate it. Are you? I, am I? <laughs> I but I hate noticed. it. I, I hate it, and I think it's a terrible movie. Um, t- to the point where you know I have a hard time even saying Joaquin Phoenix is good in it, and and that is to say I think he's a good actor. I really do. Right. Um, but it's the way this film is made what it does with its subject matter and twists it in very, not just uncomfortable ways. I love uncomfortable movies. Um, but this is uncomfortable for no purpose other than being uncomfortable. Um, so that's all I'll say. What wasn't my review? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just a few. I responses. got my point across. Yes, you did. A I few responses my- to, to what you said. One about the Joker's origins. Like I was thinking about that a lot because again, when they greenlit this movie and they said it will be a Joker origin story, the people in charge knew like this is a legacy character. Like it is Mm -hmm. arguably the single most well-known villain in any, any intellectual property ever. And so as you're watching it, it is impossible to watch Joker without thinking of every other version that you already know. So I'm thinking of like Cesar yeah. Romero in the 60s Batman, which is just gleeful and giddy and ridiculous. Um, you you have to think of Jack Nicholson, who is dark, but still just like, again, psychotic, laughing at everything. Like he's having yeah. a ball doing evil things. He's like, I always think of an old Ninja Turtles episode from the 80s where Shredder is like, it feels so good to be so bad. And that kind of like old villain 
idea where it's like it wasn't about mental illness for those old villains. It was just like there. It was it was a John Milton Satan character of just like evil be my good kind of idea, you know. And so you can track yeah. through all of and then Mark Hamill in the animated series again, gleeful but brilliant. And yeah, you know, in that movie especially or in that series, I mean, it certainly kept bringing up like all these villains used to be in Arkham and they've all been in like mental hospitals. Like it was hinting at like all of them have something wrong with their brains, but it was always so ill defined that as an audience, you could just watch it and say, yeah, they're unhinged, like something cracked. And and that's kind of how I've always thought of Joker's origins is that something traumatic has happened to him. And now, and that's, that's how I felt for all Batman villains, right? That's Mr. Freeze. That's, uh, the poison ivy. It's ever, it's penguin. It's all of them. They have this major traumatic event, and these people who were already brilliant lose it, and they say, "Oh, that's it. I'm going to set a master plan in action because the society has screwed me yeah. over." But Joker doesn't. I mean, society does screw Joker over in Joker, but he's not a mastermind to begin with. He is yeah. someone who has in. A, a severe, and it's so over the top. It, it, it is too. over the top, like, but I think it, that's it's why just it's every so- scene of just like, look how mean he is treated, and I'm right. just like, that would be great in a different film about something completely different. Right. I would be like, that is great. In this, you're talking about one of the most psychotic, horrible people ever. Yes. I don't like it. I well, don't I, like it. <laughs> I know you don't. You've and that's where that it doesn't clear. work. It's You've where it doesn't that work. Clear. I think that's why, it, you know, setting it in the 80s does help that a little bit because of how little people were paying attention to all of that stuff. And again, I think there's some interesting things in there. The fact that you have a guy who does see a, a therapist frequently and has medications, but then they lose funding and he can't get that help he needs. I think that's a yeah. brilliant, wonderful plot point to be explored. But again, because the movie ends and people are cheering for him in the streets, that to me is is the danger. And I know a lot of people talked about um, for that film that you have this idea of you know glorifying violent men who feel justified in what they're doing. And that movie absolutely does that. And I think because it does that, it loses a lot of its credibility about like, you know what? The system does not take care of the people it needs to take care of. And when we don't take care of our people, violence will happen. I think that's a message anyone can get behind. But because, again, it's the Joker, a character that you said a lot of people already love. And yeah, probably too much. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But this is the curse of of most movies is they don't like trying new characters. <laughs> it's like Definitely. we didn't need to Definitely. go from Heath Ledger to uh, Jared Leto to Joaquin Phoenix all in less than a decade. Um, there's a million other villains. You should use them. Anyway, we're about Definitely. we're almost 40 minutes in, and we have not I talked know. about <laughs> the movie we were going to do. Um, so I'm going to say <laughs> let's get to the good stuff, even though we're 40 minutes in. I know, I know. <laughs> okay. All right, Slade. Um, Let's see if you can give us a quick rundown of the movie. Oh, boy. This is going to seem weird talking about Underworld after all of this. 
Uh, a movie that is ultimately very inconsequential compared to these other films. But Slade, we watch a lot of serious films. <laughs> what is Underworld, Slade? Underworld is a 2003 uh, film directed by Len Weissman. Um, and it tells the story of a a feud, an ancient war between vampires and lichens, or uh, lycanthropes for you uh, more pretentious people, or just werewolves if you're anyone else. And so this feud has been raging on for hundreds of years. We are set in a city. I don't think it ever says it never which specifies. City. It never does. Okay, cool. And yeah, it doesn't tell us which city. And uh, basically, they've been warring against each other for hundreds of years. The vampires live like all vampires for about the last 40 years in film and literature have lived very poshly well dressed like they're in the 1800s in england and or if they are death dealers a special class in the vampire world which hunt down werewolves you dress like you're from the matrix um and but so still with the corset, up, it still has that 1800, still a leather corset it does. with everything else. It does. <laughs> it's so hot. Anyway, um, so uh, we, we open this movie uh, in basically uh, the Celine, kind of this top death dealer for the vampires. They are about in this always raining city hunting werewolves they follow some werewolves down into a subway there's a shootout uh they find there's a special gun that can really hurt vampires because remember the sun kills them and also silver kills werewolves very important um and so they they go down there they have a shootout celine finds this gun that apparently has light (laughs) in the bullets that can really actually kill vampires. Uh, And then they kind of discover the werewolves might be up to something. Uh, But also they have a leader who is not doing a good job of leading the vampires. Uh, And then they also find out these werewolves might have been tracking this human for some odd reason that they don't know about, but they have to find out. through a series of twists and turns, you find that the head vampire uh, is in league with the head werewolf, who, played by Martin, Martin, Michael, Michael Sheen, uh, <laughs> who apparently has been dead for hundreds of years, is not dead because him and the head vampire struck a deal, uh, and he's still alive, and they're planning something, so. Lots of vampire intrigue going on. That's all I'll say. <laughs> what do you want to talk about with this movie? <laughs> There's, you know, I it's know it's so, hard to to summarize a lot of movies. Uh, this I don't one's know. difficult. <laughs> uh, this one's weird. Okay, well, let's talk. You you said they dress like the Matrix. That's the first and most important thing about this. This movie wants to be the Matrix <laughs> so bad. It wants it so so bad. Um, 
not only, I mean, all the characters dress like they're in the Matrix, all of them. Um, yeah. They, they do a lot of, not to the brilliance of the Matrix, but they do a lot of slow motion shooting all over the place in here. Uh, the soundtrack, this is 2003, so very, <laughs> like everything is the Matrix. That, and it's, it's just, it's funny is what it is. This is one of the yes. many films L- that after. A lot of new metal. Lots of new metal. Like <laughs> after the Matrix was amazing, everyone's like, dude, I'm going to do that. And uh, boy, they tried, and they didn't. They didn't quite make it happen, but they tried real hard. <laughs> Wait, but we might the, disagree on that. Well, but, I mean, uh, but I agree. I yeah. completely agree. The aesthetic of this, most of the aesthetic works, but it's just it's done over the top. So uh, Wiseman, who you said directed, this is like his first actual movie. He 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 helped a lot on a bunch of other films that had like big special effects and stuff like that. He had done music videos before, but this is like his first movie movie and you can tell. Um this is yeah. a guy who was under 30 years old when he made this and you can tell because <laughs> this idea of like yeah. it's night always. There are zero shots that happen in the daytime. It is raining 100% of the time when you're outside. Uh, it is so moody, angsty. Um, but it looks cool. I, I, I'll, I'll get behind the look because this came out when I was in college and I was all into it. I'm like, dude, lots of black leather, lots of greenish bluish lighting on everything. I'm into the look of it. So I don't, I'm not even hating on it that it wants to be the matrix. I just think that that's about all the direction that the director had. He's like, I just wanted to be like the matrix. Uh, because that's about all you can get out of it. So that's where I'll start. <laughs> All right. Because um, <laughs> we've had enough rants. I don't want to rant right into the next thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I would agree with that. Uh, the The movie uh, establishes its mood throughout. It is 100% consistent throughout. Um, if There is one ground, color which, in this movie. <laughs> There's one color. There's one color palette. Yeah. Um, But I would be almost disappointed. Like, this is a movie, you know, even as I chose it, I'm just like, this is going to be fun. Uh, This falls into the Gone with 60 Seconds category of movie that I just kind of blanket term for a movie like this, which is this is a great movie to put on a Saturday night if you have a bunch of people over who you don't really know their tastes in movies all that and you could have a good time um because it's just like it's consistent there's enough action throughout uh and none of it's too terrible and it doesn't have nicholas cage so i think it actually might excel past gone with 60 seconds so um <laughs> well i'll say this though, because i don't know i don't know if i fully Nick agree cage with that. is fine i i because Todd Phillips, no. Nick Cage, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know if I fully agree, though, like having a bunch of friends over. Because the thing about this movie, like if you had a bunch of friends over to be like, hey, this is going to be silly, stupid fun. Then, and if assuming they know that, then maybe you're in. But again, because this is a, this yes. guy's first movie, you see so many filmmaking problems. And I'm not saying this needs to be a great film. I enjoyed myself, yeah. despite my low good. rating. Because it's not made well. It's not a good movie. But... There's a few things that he does yeah. that are just really weird. So every single action sequence is chopped up in weird ways. Like he will start a sequence, and then when it's edited, 
he'll cut it off at what I guess he thought was like, that's a good place to stop and we'll come back to this. But it's actually when it becomes the most interesting. So in the first major shootout in the subway, again, wants to be the Matrix. The first action scene (laughs) is in a subway station. It wants it so bad. I mean, quick side note, because I like where you're going, but doesn't just pillars blowing up from bullets evoke the matrix because that's all i think of when i think of the matrix is is that ending of the matrix and just like i'm like apparently everyone said i'm gonna shoot the pillars not neo anyway right no you're right you're right uh but (laughs) yeah so (laughs) in this first scene is where you see a lot of the the problems emerge from a director who's just not used to doing this kind of stuff because it's hard to keep track spatially where all the characters are we don't know any of the characters and who they are um the only difference between vampires and lichens as far as their appearance is lichens tend to wear more brown but even then it's still a lot of dark colors so it's hard to tell who's who sometimes and so you'd have these things where like these two guys run out of bullets and this one guy goes running through the subway car crashes out the window the other guy follows him and so you're like oh man they're gonna fight nope cut and then they cut to follow celine what she's doing i'm like don't stop it there i need to know what happened and there's a lot of moments like that where it just cuts at strange like he builds momentum but not tension yeah and so when he cuts yes you want to get back to where you were but it's not because you're invested it's just because it was just starting to maybe get a little bit interesting um and that kind of cutting happened throughout this movie a ton um, yeah. in every action sequence because there are too many characters in this movie. Um, <laughs> they have they had a grand idea, I think, of this, um, yeah, this political intrigue of the vampire covens and who's coming to awaken this new master and everything else. Um, but it gives us too many characters because you've got Celine and then you've got Michael who gets bit by a werewolf. You've got... Um, uh, Lucian, the head of the werewolves. You've got Craven, the head of the vampires. You've got Victor, the other big head of the vampires. You've got Khan, who's in charge of this like military whatever. You've got uh, you got his- Marcus, who's not even in it, but gets talked um. about a lot. And then you've got this other yeah. character, Ray's, who's just like this lieutenant werewolf guy. And then there's and I forgot her name, the blonde vampire chick. And they all are oh, somewhat yeah. important. And they all get called by name. And so you're trying to keep track of all of them. So every time you go somewhere, you're like, who was that? What's going on? And it's too much to keep track of. I went ahead and watched Underworld Evolution. Did you go on and watch that one as well? I haven't yet. Okay. I, I plan on it, though. <laughs> I went ahead and did that on a Friday afternoon because I think these are more afternoon movies than, than Saturday night movies. Um, and the That's second fair. one, I think... <laughs> I think the second one's better, and I think one of the reasons it's better is it reduces the number of characters, and it's a lot easier to keep track of who's where and what's going on, Um, and you can tell that Wiseman grows pretty significantly as far as just keeping track of what's happening, and ultimately it it works a lot better, Uh, but there's so much happening. It cuts at weird times. It's a problem. Um what do you? Th- I've seen a lot of people complain about this. What do you think about all of the gunplay in this movie? Um, is it, does that go on it, or is it already in it? There's Diablo sauce. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm being fed breakfast. Um, <laughs> so I just pictured you in a high chair. <laughs> <laughs> I am sitting next to a high chair. Um, 
Not in it. Not in it. No, the gunplay... Uh, it, it, the only thing about the gunplay is it is very... I don't have a problem with it, is, is the quickest answer, because I think gunplay in most movies is very uninteresting. I agree. Uh, there, there's only... There's very few movies in which a shootout thrills me anymore yeah. because so few movies uh, do anything different. So this this is just kind of standard. Kind of par for the course. Standard two, 2000s gun sequences. Yeah. Very, again, b- besides the apparent uh, Matrix influence, gunplay's fine. I, I The thing I appreciated about it, which again is a very 2000s, Thing I think is explaining the guns like to make it unique, uh, like the capturing of light to hurt yeah. vampires. The and UV the rounds vampire... versus the silver nitrate versus or whatever. The, the silver nitrate, yeah. Like I actually enjoyed that part, um, yeah. Just because it 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 helped with world building. Like I think I think that's the only real significant thing about the gunplay. Otherwise, I would kind of agree i think with some of the things you said in your review is just like the gunplay's there it's it's not exciting yeah and i I think that's a bummer because again it's it's trying very much to be the matrix which the part about the matrix is even though there's tons of guns in the matrix what made all of those interesting had nothing to do with the guns right so like when you watch the matrix and you watch the famous like lobby shootout we're not like the parts where they're just shooting, you're like, okay. It's like what we want to see is Neo flipping around and jumping up and yeah. kicking a guy in the head. In the head, like that's what's interesting. And this movie, I felt like that's where they didn't know what to do because like we, they did yeah. nothing. There's no hand to hand combat. They had one guy that they thought would be interesting, and it's this dude with his razor whips. Uh, <laughs> Who gets his butt kicked so fast yeah. because he's fighting yeah. this werewolf. He takes off his jacket. He's got these two razor rip whips wrapped around his shoulders. I'm like, that's going to hurt you, man. I don't know how you can just keep them wrapped around your shoulder. He pulls them off yeah. and then I can just, I don't know. I, I'm hating on the director a little bit because it, I'm imagining him I, being so giddy. Like, oh, this is really cool because this guy's just like... <laughs> throwing these whips around all over the place. He doesn't hit anything forever. And then he finally cuts the werewolf a few times. And then he whips back and his whip gets caught in the rubble behind him and he can't use his whip anymore. And then he just gets eaten by the werewolf. But it's like, yeah, that was like your one martial artsy looking (laughs) aspect. And you just made the guy, he wrecked himself. He just, oh man. I yeah, wanted. I yeah. wish I had more of that because that would have been cooler. Um, I think. Yeah. Because the gunplay in this, especially for um, Kate Beckinsale's character, like she's the death dealer. She's supposed to be like the elite killing machine. First of all, yeah. with a gun, she can't hit anything. This is like stormtrooper yes. level bad aim because. <laughs> She's got all these werewolves like flying down a hallway at her. She's unloading clip after clip after clip and can't tag these guys down to the point she's like, well, you know what I can hit? 
the floor beneath me, and then she takes way too long, <laughs> way too long. I laughed so hard because she's like, oh, no, the werewolves. All right. And she starts shooting the circle around yeah. her so she can fall yeah. through the floor. And I'm like, that took so long for you to do that. How are you not dead? It's just funny to me. That's like they relied on gunplay, but then the people who were using guns are a bad aim and they can't hit anyone. It's very silly to me. I think it's, yeah, it's bizarre. It is silly. I I agree. Uh, in the attempts to have something very unique... It it just only goes halfway there. It does, I think. Yeah, um, you you know, and and I like the the point out of of what you said of the director builds momentum, not tension, and I think that that's a failing in a lot of the action. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, so, <clears throat> what what about? Besides two main characters, because uh, we're running out of time already. I don't know why. Um, is <laughs> It's okay. I don't know stories. if we have too much more to say. <laughs> I don't know either. That's why I didn't feel bad in, in the first part. I'm just like, I know my thoughts. They won't take long. Um, uh, Story-wise, and again, you, you kind of followed up here. Does this movie do enough to build a an enjoyable story, a, I, I don't want to say intriguing. I don't think it's intriguing. It's not intriguing. But, no, here's the thing about the story in this movie. But an enjoyable story, I think. <laughs> an enjoyable, I, enjoyable is the right word. Okay. Well, there's an enjoyable few, enough. Okay. Enjoyable enough. Story. Here's what, here's what works in the first movie. And I'll talk I'll, a little bit in the second one in, in very minor spoilery terms, I hope. Uh, <laughs> What works for this movie is that you're like, oh, it's vampires versus werewolves the whole time, right? This is alien versus predator, yeah. but with, like, different yeah. creatures. And I'm fine with that. It's like, fine, just go to war. Go crazy. I think it's weird that, you know, werewolves are carrying guns and vampires are carrying guns. I'm like, you're crazy, mythic, awesome monsters. I wish you would do, like, those kind of monster fights. That would be more interesting. But that's pretty much what it relies on for the entire film. It's just like, werewolves bad. No, vampires bad. And it tries real hard, but I don't think there's the the competence is not behind the trying to make it all work. Because they try to make this thing of, um, well, there's like two or three plot levels, right? So there's the, the behind-the-scenes alliance between Craven and Lucian. Fine. Yeah. But I don't know why they're in league with each other. Not really. Um, they never fully explain that and why that's supposed to be good for any of them. Um, there's this other thing about Michael that they're tracking him down. They want to get his blood because he's a direct descendant of the original vampire werewolf line. But I, it's never, I don't, I can't tell you why and what they were doing with him. They were trying to make super werewolves, I guess, but even that's not really clear. Um, on how or why they're after this guy. Um, so the plot why, it's just, it's whatever. Um, whatever romance yeah. thing is they're trying to build in there is terrible. Um, the moment where Celine <laughs> first kisses Michael, I was like, oh, boo, that's stupid. But then she handcuffs him, and I was like, okay, maybe that's a distraction kiss because there's no reason you should like this That was this totally guy. forgivable. I, I, I felt the same way as it was happening. I'm like, okay, that... 
But then she handcuffs him. I'm yeah. like, okay, vampire. I'm yeah. with you. That was slick. That was. Because if you're a hot vampire, <laughs> um, it would be real easy to, to chain me to the radiator. Because you'd be like, oh, you're into me? Oh, come on. Dang it. Uh, so I, I forgave that one. It's fine. But that's why I also was so annoyed when I'm looking on like Netflix and it's like, you know, doing its quick movie summaries, which Netflix summaries, by the way, you're terrible. Netflix yeah. has the worst summaries because like she falls in love with this human. I'm like, does she? Because I never really see that happen. But whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't work at all. So here's the deal. Is it intriguing? Not really, but I don't know that it matters. You know, you've got this thing about no. uh, we hate each other, and there's a little bit about, like, who started it? Well, the werewolves started it, and then you find out, no, they didn't. It's all Victor's fault. He's the reason it all went bad. So you get a little bit of growth, I guess, with Celine understanding that, oh, just because you're a werewolf doesn't mean you're bad. Oh, here's something, though. <laughs> I just remembered. Okay. Um, there's a weird statement um, about mixed races in this, which yes, in the summer of 2020, yes. it, it's not deep or interesting, but it's just like, oh, it's here too. That Victor just like can't stand the fact that a vampire and a werewolf might be in love and he hates that so much. And so that's his main. So it's like, Victor, you're just a racist vampire. That's what you are. Yep. And that's about all it is, uh, which they follow up a little bit in the second one. Again, it's just a line, but after reading a lot of Stamp from the beginning, is like, oh, Victor didn't want this because he didn't want to lose his werewolf slaves. I'm like, oh, dang. That's very American. Uh, so <laughs> it's very strange. Yep. Um, but no, plot-wise, whatever. Now, second movie. Here's the weirdest thing I realized in the second movie, which also makes this plot, all the story weird. These are vampires who don't like to kill humans for some reason. And I don't understand that. They're like, these werewolves are tracking this human. I'm like, wouldn't they kill humans anyway? Wouldn't you kill humans? You're vampires. That's like a thing you do. Um, but they don't. Yeah. And that's and it's fine in the first movie because the focus is so much on the war that humans barely enter into it at all. Um, that Celine is more curious. Like, okay, why are they following you and not just killing you? So I can understand in the first movie. In the second movie, though, there's this weird moment where she's talking to Michael, who becomes a werewolf-vampire hybrid, which whatever that does or means. And she says, she tells him in the second movie, you need to keep drinking this blood that I have in this refrigerator because if you don't, you'll have cravings. If you have cravings, you might kill a human, and you don't want that on yeah. your conscience. And it's like, wait, you don't kill humans? Why not? Yeah. And what becomes the thrust of the plot for this second movie is to not uh, let these other werewolves loose because if they get loose, they'll kill too many humans. I'm like, why do you care so much about humans? It's just a strange thing in a vampire movie, um, which doesn't really get know. explained. It's very strange. But but may, I, I got to watch the second one. But You do. I think it's better overall. Uh, like I said, I think the director <clears throat> knows a bit more what he's doing. The action sequences are better, and I know I put in my review, like, the the deaths that happen are much more interesting, because in the first movie, yeah. every death is, you got shot, what now? Uh, that's yeah. about it, until uh, until Bill Nye gets his head sliced, um, but yeah, there's a lot more interesting, crazy, gory monster deaths in the second one. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's cool. hop to ratings. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, like I said, this is not a good movie. 
Um, I was, I was, I enjoyed myself watching it, but now that I've watched it again, I was, I was like, well, I really don't know when I'll ever go back to this one. Um, I tried to think about it in terms like, is this just like a perfectly neutral, mediocre film? But then because there was so much choppiness and weirdness and I can't tell where characters are and, and even now I can't tell you really what the plot is at the end of the day. Um, and it's not fascinating in the way that I would want like, like when I watch some old Jackie Chan movies where I don't care about the plot, but the action is so amazing, like it'll get like a four star from me probably because Legend of Drunken Masters fight scenes are that epic. Um, this movie doesn't hit that epic. I think I was watching on Letterboxd. I went through almost every single of the like six movies that are in this franchise for some reason. Yep. <laughs> and um, the most common rating on Letterboxd for all of them is like a three star movie. So it's pretty middling for every single one. Like there's very few that ever go way higher than that or way lower than that. Um, but this is fine. It's fun. I still went on and watched the second one because I like vampires a lot. Um, but this one's hanging out at a two star. It's not a good movie, but you know, I'll watch it. (laughs) I didn't hate it. I'm just like, this is like, there's some two star movies I put down there. I'm like, you are bad and I don't like you. Two stars are lower. This one was like, I don't even hate you, but I, you're, you, you've got problems. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, on my end, uh, I, I agree with, with most everything on this movie that's being said. Um, it's not a great work of art. It, it's not breaking through uh, filmmaking barriers in any way, uh, nor do I think it's trying to. I, I think it's obviously a, a filmmaker's vision of like, hey, I like vampires and werewolves. I like these old horror things. Let's give it an update. Um, we're going to set it in a nondescript city that always rains and they're just going to be duking it out. Uh, and that's all I want from this movie, you know, and I think that's what most anyone <laughs> wants from this movie. And, and I think it ultimately works. Um, you know, it coming now in 2003, it, it's always iffy for any <laughs> movie, um, in certain time periods where it's just like, this is an action adventure horror movie. You know, you're going to be getting some of that, uh, early CGI work, but I think for the most part, for me, it works. Um, you know, I, I will say as, as me and my girlfriend were watching it, like when that first werewolf morphs into a werewolf, I'm just like, Wow. That was really well done. <laughs> yes, and I agree. Up. And just to it interrupt you for a second, like I thought about this, the creature effects in this are actually pretty good. It, it, they, it is. The budget was small enough that they didn't rely on CG very often because it would have been too expensive. Now, it, yeah. it becomes challenging because the werewolves are very stiff, and so that's part of the reason the editing is so choppy and you don't actually get to see the werewolves do much because they yeah. couldn't. When you get to the second movie, they've upped their budget and they know how to make it. So some of the werewolves um, still do pretty well, but they definitely use the CG there more. But I agree. Like that first transformation, it's all crackly and weird and, and kind of gross seeming. But I'm like, oh, that that works yeah. pretty well, actually. It wasn't too no, fluid it, it and does. too computery. And, yeah. And, and like it's not horrific or anything it's it's just very smooth and well done and even a few minutes later there's like two werewolves having werewolf 
Fight Club and they go from werewolf to human. And even that CG transition was really clean and holds up, I thought. Um, and, and, you know, understanding filmmaking of why why some of the editing choices were made, you know, you're you're most likely working with giant werewolf molds. Yeah. <laughs> and so to film that and, and move it, I actually thought worked really well um, with it because it evoked a bit more action. I think not getting to see follow through on swipes and things. I think the vampire lichen hybrid is a cool idea. Uh, it didn't get into Edward Jacob territory. You know, I, I think the guy who plays Michael, I'm like, you're a okay. Um, he's fine. And, and he's the, story, the weakest part of this movie. As far as the acting is concerned, he is, but he's, <laughs> he's just a blank. He is, nothing, but <laughs> it is. And, and it, and it works. That's all I'm saying. It's all just right. like you can't. I, I don't think you can fault him for anything. No, because he like, doesn't have anything you, to do. Even if they put a great actor in for him, they don't give him anything oh, interesting yeah. to do. So it's fine. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he, he's much more, if I remember correctly, for the second movie. And so I, I think the story is intriguing enough to keep coming back to that world, even if it is for five, six movies. Um it, it's just an enjoyable ride. And, and if anything, you know, you can look at like, so why did this dude edit this way? And, you know, talking about young directors, I, I think that's a totally valid criticism in this movie. But all in all, I think it's enjoyable. Uh, fine. And I, I loved vampires, especially in high school. Who didn't? Uh, so, you know, it takes me back to that time when I was clamoring for anything that was vampire related um you know so um yeah i i enjoyed it three stars very middle of the road yep <laughs> would watch again would i and i would so. like saying if someone's like hey we're gonna watch underworld I'm like yeah all right i'll watch underworld yeah <laughs> it's not good but i'll watch yeah. it what well, it, no, it's not a great movie. <laughs> but yeah. like now, if someone said, "Hey, we're watching not, Attack of the Clones," but, I'd be like, "You are watching that alone," and that is fair. <laughs> but if we were watching all the prequels, I would be like, "No, we are not skipping. There are essential plot points <laughs> within this movie and and growth things." Fantastic. And, and, and it's like, and it's like what what you said. Like some of the movies you would rate like two stars and what kind of bad they are. I think with this movie of why I give it three stars, not just, I think I said in my review, a whole star just for fun, um, which I, I stand by, but it's, it's not aggressively bad. Like some two star or, or worse movies where it's just like, this is, how could you have not known how bad this was? This isn't that movie. This is like, this is, a vampire werewolf showdown fun movie. And that's what was delivered. Agreed. Upon. Agreed. You know, it's not fighting itself <laughs> to be bad. So cool. There you go. All right. Underworld right now. We are aiming at our longest episode so far, I think. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I think so. We're at a minute. We're at an hour 10. Um, I don't know what our longest is. It's close to that. So let's yeah. wrap this up next time. Let's, we are watching a movie that's streaming on Amazon Prime right now. I think it's from 1950. And oh, goodness. <laughs> I think it is. I looked at it last night. Sunset Boulevard. 
That's what we're watching. Okay. And uh, okay, I've I've heard this referenced a ton. Yeah. Me too. Haven't seen it. Know nothing else about it. So, but that's what we're yep. watching. So, and I just all remembered right. all the other stuff I watched that now I want to say things about, but we'll save it for another time. I um, know. I I wanted to press on two others, but well, we'll we'll save those for our other very long intros and other episodes. But for now, thank Perfect. you so much, everybody, for hanging out with us, for listening to our hot takes on the Star Wars prequels, our uh, oh pretty gosh. pretty normal takes, I think, on Joker. Slade's very angry takes yeah. on Joker, and uh, you know, it's not even Joker, but and Todd, Todd Phillips. Phillips, yeah, All right. making so dumb dumb comments. No, no, anyway, no, I'm done. Stop. I'm done. No. Done. <laughs> oh, we really appreciate you listening. We have a good time making these. I hope you're having a fun time listening to them. Uh, if you're not, then you're probably not hearing me say that. So whatever. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> farewell, good people. Uh, don't stop the talk after you walk out of the theater. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Rar. <laughs> <laughs>